Hi, I'm Jeff Sickinga, Executive Director of the Ashbrook Center, and this is The American Idea, coming to you from Peter Schramm's library in Ashland, Ohio. I want to welcome everybody to this episode of The American Idea. Today we are going to be talking about one of the most famous Americans in our history, Benjamin Franklin. Franklin might be famous. A lot of his sayings we've all heard, we probably know them, but do we really know the man, Benjamin Franklin? Do we really know his thought? And do we really understand his legacy? Those are important questions for us today as we think about the American founders and our contemporary understanding of them. Should we be looking to the American founders for wisdom, for insight into our country, into its the direction the country should go, and into the past of our country? Uh, a lot of times these days we hear criticism of the American founders. Does it apply to someone like Benjamin Franklin? To understand the complex man that Franklin was and his complex and very interesting life and legacy, I'm joined today by an old friend of Ashbrook, a regular on this podcast, and a man uh, who has studied the American founding deeply and has a particular love for, and maybe even connection to, Benjamin Franklin, and that's Professor Chris Burkett. Those of you who don't know, Chris is Professor of Political Science at Ashland University. He is Director of the Ashbrook Scholar Program, and of course a faculty member in Ashbrook's Master of Arts in American History and Government. He earned his BA in, uh, as I'm fond to say, in history and fine arts <laughs> from Ashland University, his MA and PhD in political science from the University of Dallas. Chris is a terrific colleague. He is an interesting scholar who has edited uh, Ashbrook's wonderful collection, 50 Core American Documents, essential reading, really, for all students, teachers, and citizens who want to understand America's history and principles. He is also a terrific teacher. His students will testify the life-changing effect that his classes have and the way that he conducts himself with the students in the classroom. And not surprisingly, he received the university's highest award for teaching in 2011, the Taylor Excellence in Teaching Award. Well-deserved and has been named Outstanding Faculty Member of the Year uh, by his students. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Jeff, to have a conversation with you. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin, you have a, you've taught this book. We're going to be talking with you about... Franklin's, what I think is his only book, his it autobiography. Is. It is his only book, yeah. Benjamin Franklin is, of course, regarded as one of America's greatest founders, certainly famous for his aphorisms, his sayings. Um, but I wonder how much we really know about Benjamin Franklin and how much he really wanted us to know about him. You would think in an autobiography he would really reveal himself and bear his soul to, to the reader, um, why do you think his autobiography is essential reading for anyone who wants to understand Franklin, who wants to understand our founding, and more broadly, who wants to understand America? Well, I, th I think that last point is especially important. If you want to understand America in a certain way, you, you want to know what it means to be an American. We have an idea of what an American is, mm. and as, as opposed to or distinguished from 
uh, a European, especially at the time when Franklin is writing, a European is um, someone who is either a noble or an aristocrat or a commoner. Um, even in America, in the American colonies, when Franklin is around, and he lived the better part of maybe one of the most important centuries of all time in human history, right? Through the 1700s, lived a long time. But even at that time, there is an opportunity for someone like Franklin to rise from very, very humble beginnings. He was one of 17 children. Wow. The third youngest of 17 children uh, born to, I wouldn't say poor, not poor by European standards at the time, but people of moderate means. Okay. And he rose to be not just the Best known man in America, maybe the best known man in the world at the time. Wow. So here's a guy from a very obscure, obscure background, as you say, modest. Um, am I right to say that, think that he was born, he's born, of course, in the American colonies, as they were at the time, mm -hmm. uh, in Massachusetts, in is Boston. that right? Yep. In Boston. He, of course, becomes famously associated with Philadelphia. Um, what's the historical context of this book? Because we think of Frank, we think of Doctor Franklin as he was sometimes called, um, <laughs> and uh, again we think of his sayings, we think of his um, his charitable work, we think of his work on behalf of America and the American Revolution. We don't always, maybe some of our listeners don't even know that he wrote an autobiography. What's the historical context of this book? Yeah, um, he started to write this, I believe, in 1771. It's written in four sections. Okay four phases of his life and um, he started writing it he says to his son who at the time was governor of New Jersey uh, because he thought it might be of use to him to so he's from, 62 years old learn from the lessons of his own life including okay. the mistakes he had made by the way uh-huh and what I just mentioned what's kind of interesting about this is of course um, his son is um, sides with England in the revolution and oh. their relationship becomes very strained after that but but at this point, they're still <laughs> on speaking terms, and so he writes this to his son. But I also think that he's writing it to just anybody who will read it and maybe learn from his own life. And what I really like about this book is is his honesty. Now, say, take his honesty with a grain of salt, because Franklin, and this is mainly why I like Franklin, he's sort of impish. He's <laughs> playful. Sometimes he, you know, he, he we don't always think of Amer founding fathers as playful. No, the, Franklin had a great sense of humor, and, uh -huh. and it comes through sometimes in his autobiography. It's hard to tell when he's being serious sometimes, um, but uh, but uh, uh, he's very honest about his life in in all parts of the book, especially when he's young. The first two parts cover his life, um, really into his thirties. Okay, uh, as he's starting to establish himself, his name and his reputation in the printing business. And he's very honest about the fact that he's made some mistakes that he regrets in life. Well, that's um, interesting to me because when we think of memoirs today of public figures, political figures, they're usually um, defenses of themselves. Right. They usually talk all about their good moments, all about the great decisions they made and the wonderful accomplishments they've had. They very rarely show themselves warts and all. And he does. He does. That's why I like him. <laughs> now, he, 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 there's plenty in the autobiography of him talking about all the good things he's done too. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and the and, and the autobiography begins, by the way, with a sort of playful um, admission by Franklin that the one thing he struggled with throughout life is pride uh -huh. and humility. Uh -huh. And um, so he says at the even before the uh, right at the beginning of the first part of the autobiography, he says, "I'm just going to come right out and and say." Um, 
I've struggled with being humble throughout my life, so I'm going to stop pretending to be humble. <laughs> I'm just going to stop. But he does show he does show these moments in his life where he makes some mistakes, and some of it has to do with um, oh he, he he associates with some the wrong sorts of people every now and then, and they get, he gets himself into a little bit of trouble with money. And okay, so this this is his. So you said it's in four sections. This first section, part one. What portion of its life his life does it cover again now? About the first thirty years of his life. Okay, 30, so from about seventeen oh nine when he's born to sometime towards seventeen forty. America time, is still, yeah. of course, a colony of the British then. Right. What happens? In, in Franklin's life in those first 30 years or so? Yeah. Um, again, he starts from very humble beginnings. He, um, uh, his father can't afford to get him a formal education, so he's largely self-taught, by the way, which is another great aspect of this sort of idea of a self-made American man. Right. Um, he's indentured with his brother, who has gone through an apprenticeship and established himself in the printing business in Massachusetts. So he's actually indentured to his brother, and they have a falling out, and it causes Benjamin Franklin to have to leave Boston. He goes to New York, and eventually he makes his way down to Philadelphia. And there he establishes himself. He gets in with a printer there, um, a fellow named Kime. Um, interestingly enough, is my wife's maiden name. Uh, now how about that? <laughs> so there's one little connection. It's not spelled the same, but um, he uh, gets in with a printer there and soon establishes himself as a, a hardworking respectable, uh, decent human being who, who over time uh, demonstrates that he is um, really interested in improving the quality of life for people in Philadelphia. Hmm. He becomes a strong advocate of, um, of religious liberty, uh, makes several improvements to um, uh, uh, you know, public services and things like this. We're all familiar with some of his great contributions like, you know, fire stations and hospitals and schools at the College of uh, Philadelphia, which becomes UPenn. Okay, of course. Um, but in his first 30 years, he is building that reputation. I see. So he's a printer in Philadelphia, yeah. starts, as you say, as an apprentice, very lowly, gets into Philadelphia. What's Philadelphia the city like? Why would he go there? What's Philadelphia the city like in question. the in the 18th century in America? It is the most free and open um, okay. One might say, why is it free and open in a, like in that? In a certain sense, well, one, it's um, it's uh, distant from England and Europe, um, but two, it is um, it is located in a, in a place where people from all the various colonies can come and bring their various religions and their various I professions see. with them, and it's a it is maybe the most diverse city in the world at the time, and especially again with regard to religion. Um, it's a it, Pennsylvania. Then is a largely a Quaker colony. It is still or founded it, as a Quaker colony. It, it is um, Philadelphia, however, is um, is just open to all sorts of people of different backgrounds. So okay. of, of all, uh, there, uh, you've got Quakers. You've got just about every kind of Christian denomination has a church there, and you also, I believe, have the first um, Jewish synagogue in the country established there. A permanent synagogue is huh. established there in Philadelphia, and it's still there. Or at least there's a there's a, a memorial to it there, um, so it's an open city. It's inviting for people that want to come there, and take advantage of the freedom and the opportunity to, to pursue what they want to pursue happiness in the way they want to pursue it, but also make something of themselves. And Franklin saw a need for, um, uh, for in printing that he could fill, and it seems it becomes very obvious, I think, to most people that he's he's better at publishing, and he writes editorials and things, but he's better at publishing. 
um, newspapers than his employer is. And over time, he works hard enough and gains enough of a reputation that he saves up and can buy his own press. Okay. So, so Franklin the Apprentice becomes Franklin the owner. Yeah. The business owner. Yeah, he does. And he does very well. And uh, he makes a lot of money, to be okay. honest, at this. Uh-huh. This is This is... Now, after having established himself and proven that one can work hard and be successful, uh, this is the part that really surprised me when I read the autobiography, and this is probably the less known part of Franklin, is that he, he retires early. He's very young when he retires from printing. And he dedicates himself instead to public service. So around in his 40s, is that right? Yeah, he, mo- he makes the move to public service. He gets into politics uh, his, po- his political career begins as secretary of the General Assembly. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Again, so he, just like Franklin does in, in you know his work, he sort of starts at the bottom, earns the trust of people around him, and, and works his way up to be the most okay. respected political figure in, in Philadelphia. What does he say in his autobiography here in this part one that's particularly memorable about his life and time in Philadelphia? What kind of lessons does he draw? What kind of... Uh, examples does he want to show us? What is, what's the story that he wants to tell yeah. his reader? It's a great question. <laughs> and what he learned in part one and part two, again, when he's young, I think the main focus of the text is Franklin saying, on the one hand, he's showing um, how important it is to work hard. Not only work hard, by the way. Um, if I can find this passage, I'll read it. But I remember him pointing out that it's not just important to work hard. You have to make it clear to others that you're a hard worker. I see. So okay. he tells a story, for example, of how um, um, he would, um, he was really, he was, he was constantly working, but he loved to read. And he was afraid that people might think him kind of lazy for taking time off from working to, to read books. Uh-huh. So what he would do is he would uh, fill a wheelbarrow full of books and push it around town. <laughs> to so wherever he, he was going to go read so it looked like he was, he was always busy 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 so um you know he's he tells a lot of great stories like this it, it, it <laughs> appearances matter uh, so there's a lot of that um in the first part and the second part but at the same time again uh, one of the major lessons i think is you know learn from my mistakes and and one of the things that he i think regrets is when he was younger um uh, when when he had first come to Philadelphia, actually uh, in Boston as well, he was he was what you might call disputatious. Well, that's a big word. Well, okay, he liked to argue. He liked <laughs> to argue and he liked to win arguments. Okay, so, <laughs> and he was not he was um, uh, not nice about it. Uh, uh. He liked when he was young and ambitious. His ambition took the form of trying to prove that he was smarter than others. So he was a little cocky, a little he arrogant. Co- that's a nice way to put it. Yeah, and he quickly earned a reputation of being kind of a jerk. Um, uh-huh. And um, over time, as he grew up and matured, he saw the effect that that had on people. It turned people away from him. And as, as Franklin be- matured and became more civic-minded and wanted to bring people together to cooperate for, you know, whatever project it was, you know, building a, a library, or even building a church. Franklin is responsible, by the way, for getting people together to donate funds to the first public place of worship that any denomination could use in Philadelphia. Uh-huh. But he learned that the way you do that is not by being a jerk. <laughs> you have to um, speak to people in a certain way to get them on board, show them what's what's not only um, in their interest, but also in the, in the interest of the society that they live in and how they're connected. And he, so he learned to 
and he regretted this later, um, but he learned how to speak to people in a way that could move them in, in, in the right kind of way, right? To get them to come together and, and want to be civic-minded. Mm. So he regrets the fact that when he was younger, he was, he was just so vicious in his, uh, his critiques. He flirted with um, deism. This is another thing that surprised me in this. When he was younger, he regrets this, he says explicitly. Uh, his, he, he, he thought of himself as a deist when he was younger, and, uh, and, and this allowed him to think that he was very clever in arguments with, say, people of Christian orthodoxy or sort of Christian yeah. faith. And there's another great moment in the book where he, where he says he regrets this very deeply because he saw the effect that um, his religious opinions with regard to deism had on a friend of his. So, I mean, to oversimplify it, of course, deism is the idea that that the, the God created the world and the universe and sort of wound it up like a clock and then it just runs, right? And Franklin um, writes about how one of his friends who he converted to deism um, concluded from this that it doesn't really matter, therefore, whether we do good or bad. It's just sort of all, we're just uh-huh. sort of destined to do it. And so it led one of his friends to do some really bad things. And Franklin laments this. So part one and two is... Um, is full of positive examples of how to earn a good reputation in the eyes of others, but it's also full of these lessons of don't don't do what I did, uh-huh. uh, sort of right. Um, teaching. Right. So the part three, because yeah, um, I, I, I as far as I know, I think it's right that Franklin lived as his permanent residence in Philadelphia his whole life, even though of course he later becomes ambassador and goes to places like England. But he's in Philadelphia. Part three, tell me um, what portion of his life does this cover yeah this is when he retires essentially uh he still owns the printing press i believe but he he's turned over management of it and he dedicates himself to public service um so i'm trying to find uh, there's a great passage where he he gets he decides he wants to get into politics this is where you start right to get into public service okay with him um and he wants to be secretary. His first thing he runs for is secretary of the General Assembly. There's this great, st- oh, clerk of the General Assembly. This is, um, and it, 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 he wanted the office, and apparently there was a member of the General Assembly who had come to be suspicious of Franklin, and he just didn't like him, and he was standing in the way of Franklin being appointed. Um, and Franklin tells the tale of how he went to this particular member of the Assembly, and instead of sort of, trying to do favors for him, which was sort of the common practice, right? You get, you want to get in favor to, you know, with somebody to get in office. He, he asks a favor of the assemblyman. He goes to him and says, Hey, I heard you, I hear you have a pretty extensive library. Do you happen to have this book or this book or this book? And the assemblyman says, yes, I do. And Franklin says, may I borrow it? So Franklin actually got into his debt and he let him borrow the book. And over time, Franklin would return them promptly and borrow more uh-huh. and within a uh, within a month uh, this assemblyman recommended him for clerk <laughs> the general assembly uh-huh. so, and they became friends and from there franklin then goes on and he is elected to the assembly and he is involved in many many public affairs projects um he's postmaster of philadelphia of course we know about his his innovations with um creating the first you know fire com- permanent fire company right. um building the preaching hall that I mentioned earlier, um, uh, the academy, built, starting schools. He's also involved And, and he in, was involved, am I wrong, to think he was also involved in starting an insurance company? An insurance company. 
He did. I mean, he's the first to do so many things in this country. It's wow. amazing. And and by the way, not for profit either. At this point in his life, he had made his money, and he wasn't necessarily interested in reaping profits off of it. He wanted to be of service to others. Um, the Franklin stove, for example, right? He, he, so many of his inventions, he refused to take patents out on because he thought that these these would be of service to to, to others. So, and and is this the time part in in part three? when he starts publishing uh, what made him, in many ways, famous to a lot of ordinary folks, which is Poor Richard's Almanac. That's just just before that time and into this time. Okay. Yes. Right. Tell us about Poor Richard's Almanac and why he publi- what it is and why he publishes it. Yeah, it's, um, it's a collection of newspaper editorials, some, many of which he had written earlier, and now pieces together in a, in a, a kind of pamphlet. Um, and they're meant to be sort of pithy, um, stories that, that teach us something, teach us something about virtue or morality or how we're supposed to behave as citizens and and how to be good neighbors and so on and so forth. And he often tells these witty, funny stories of um, of people who um, get themselves in trouble and uh, and then you know maybe have to dig themselves out of a hole somehow. And um, but they're very clever and they're very witty and they're very very popular. Um, hmm. And um, so. Uh, this was the thing that really started to get him fame, I would say, beyond Philadelphia, because these were pretty widely read uh, yeah, the colonies. Right. I mean, I, th- I think today, I can remember my mother and grandmother saying things to me like, a penny saved is a penny, penny earned. Early to bed, early to rise. Makes a man healthy, wealthy, you and wise. It. My yeah. grandmother repeated that over and over and Mine over again. Mine did, too. My grandparents, I remember them saying these things. So, That's right. So lots of great, memorable sayings. But, but this is the other point of Franklin's life that really starts to come out um, at this time. And poor Richard's Almanac really embodies this. Franklin was a big advocate of teaching people the importance of civic virtue and and civic responsibility. And um, when he was younger, by the way, toward the end of part two in the autobiography, he spends a lot of time talking about how he tried to sort of drag himself into being virtuous (laughs) Uh by thinking about what what kind of qualities should should a good human being have, should a good citizen have. And he comes up with a list of what he calls virtues that he needs to work. He needs to work on them. Um, let's see if I can find the list really quickly. Uh, it's a very famous list uh, of virtues that he that he was working on. Uh, it's pretty remarkable that he dedicates himself to self improvement. Yes, I'm going to make myself a better citizen. I'm going to make myself more useful to my city. And I'm going to make myself a better human being. Exactly, exactly. So here, so he, his list of virtues, things he needs, and again, things he needs to make himself better in: temperance, silence, <laughs> order, resolution. That is, you know, perform what you ought and do it without fail. Frugality. So don't overspend beyond your means. A penny saved is a penny earned. You got it. So you can start associating these great memorable quotes from poor Richard's almanac with many of the virtues okay that he talks about industry sincerity justice moderation cleanliness tranquility and chastity and then 13 he says he tacks on much later and it's humility again <laughs> because again he sort of struggles with the, with the humility thing but um so yeah this this idea of helping of of, of working to make oneself better and and by by your own example helping others to think about how they can be better, I think is a major contribution 
of Franklin's to the idea of, again, the American mind, if we want to use that term, or what it means to be a, an American citizen or just an American. Right? And he's trying to In teach these sense. Americans, look, we might be British colonies, but we can make ourselves, we can improve ourselves and make ourselves into something no matter what our station in life is. Absolutely. You can rise from being what I was, a poor uh, indentured person, to becoming a successful business person and then uh, a very successful citizen that's useful to a lot of people. We yeah. can rise, uh, unlike places like Europe, where there's a clear social structure, where people are held down, there, there's peasants. In America, there aren't peasants locked into their s socioeconomic class, as we call it today, their station in life. You can rise. Exactly. And Franklin, wasn't the, Franklin was not the only person to do that, but he's the most famous example of that. Mm -hmm. And he understood that very well. And what he did was he took advantage of that opportunity that, this, that these circumstances allowed, right? The fact that you could rise from very humble and, and modest beginnings to become... There's another famous uh, publication, uh, one thing, that, that an editorial that Franklin wrote. It's not in the autobiography, but it's one of my favorite pieces, and it, it sort of pairs nicely with the autobiography. It's a short editorial that Franklin published called Information to Those Who Would Come to America or okay. Move to America. And and the short of it is... I he, take it by that it's published in Europe. It, it's published in America and then re reproduced oh, in okay. European okay. papers. Uh -huh. And he knew, that, he knew that that would happen. So in this piece, I'll just summarize a little bit. What he says is, look, if, if you're thinking of coming to America from Europe, from these aristocratic societies as you were describing them, he says, if you have nothing more to recommend you than your name, don't bother. <laughs> because here, and this is my, one of my favorite lines of all time, and it, uh, to me it kind of really captures the autobiography as well. Because here, Franklin said, people don't inquire of a stranger, who are you? Like, you know, what family are you from? They ask, what do you do? Uh -huh. And, you know, you can be an art, you can be uh, a mechanic, a, a smith, uh, you know, do this or that in America. That's what matters most, is, is what you do. Your actions matter most, it's, right? And you think about it today, we still do this, right? Yeah, when, when we, we first meet, somebody, pe meet people, right? Yeah. The first question we ask is, what, what do, you do you do? Yeah, what do you do, right? Yeah. And we don't think so, it's an impolite question. We it's think it's not. a normal question that people just get to know each other that way. Right. But in Europe at the time, in aristocratic Europe at the time, in England included, you don't ask those kinds of questions, right? So, right. um Franklin really embodies that idea that, um, you know, hard work is important. It's not only important in terms of making wealth, but it matters in the sense that it shows others what freedom means and what opportunity can mean uh -huh. um, to not just you as an individual, but to society as a whole. You By working hard, and I think this is what Franklin is really trying to teach us through his own example, by him working hard, what he is showing others is that they can do the same. Hi, I'm Rich Police, Associate Director of Student Programs at the Ashbrook Center. The Ashbrook Scholar Program is an honors program located at Ashland University for undergraduate students with an interest in politics, history, and economics. Modeled after a classical liberal education, you will read the great texts, not textbooks. Your classes will be conversations, not lectures conversations with other students, with your professors, and with great thinkers and statesmen from throughout human history. If you or a young person you know are passionate about life's important questions, if you want an education that emphasizes discovery, 
If you value liberal education and the principles of freedom it upholds, then this is the place for you. To learn more, visit us online at ashbrookscholar.org. So part three, Franklin has risen in, in Philadelphia and is now out in, the, in, out in the world, in the larger world, um, making his way, making a name for himself and rising. Part four, what part of his life does that cover? It's very short. Uh, it only covers a, a handful of pages. Um, and it, it comes right at the end. There, uh, scholars think maybe he had planned to write more, but it apparently comes right near to his death. Some of this, by the way, is written while he's abroad. In, right, because each part is, I, I, should, so. I guess we should clarify for our listeners just to make sure, each part, they're, they're not written all at the same time, right? He four writes part numbers. one, part two, part three, part four at different times in his life. Right. So this ends, his account ends rather abruptly. Um, and, and up to this point, he is writing about, oh, sort of the beginnings of things in the 1750s and 60s leading up to the revolution. Okay. So some of the things going on with regard to relations between the American colonies and, and, and Great Britain. Um, this is sort of in the aftermath of the French and Indian War, um, which, of which he writes quite a bit, actually, in part three as well. Um, he's involved in... Um, Organizing troops mm -hmm. uh, and supplies right. uh, for the, for the for the effort. Of course, the the, the Americans are with the British, with the British right? in this war. And but right. it's at this point, by the way, that Franklin says that he started to lose faith in the British. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He has what happened? Why? about their abilities to um, two things about their ability to govern justly um, because of the examples that he sees of the British treating the colonists as really second class citizens. He observes uh -huh. these things. And Franklin himself um, offers plans and suggestions to, meant to help the common cause of, of Great Britain and the colonies in the war. And they're rejected. And they're rejected simply on the basis that Franklin's a colonist and not born in Great Britain. Uh -huh. So he starts to really doubt the justice of that entire way of thinking, I think. You know, Franklin off, uh, is also known as uh, um, uh, for uh, the Albany Plan, which is one of the first, if not the first, plan of union, plans of union among the colonies. And really? This is way ahead of his time. This is in the 1750s. Okay. Um, so, so he's already thinking about the idea of America. I think he is. As a kind of united place that is at least, if not independent from Britain, distinct from Britain. Yeah. And I think this is another thing that sets him apart from, um, from many others at the time, and even many of the American founders, is that he has this sort of continental view of what America can be. Hmm. He, has, he, has, he has larger views um, of what union could bring to not just, you know, I mean, Philadelphia is a, is a, is a, a, a lovely place to live, but, uh, but think if all the other great colonies could unite and what they could do for each other. Mm -hmm. um, I think Franklin has that kind of vision. In the 1750s right and he, his autobiography doesn't get into his contributions during the revolution and the, and the framing of the, con, you know, the constitution of course he plays really important roles in those things but you can see in the last parts to uh, part three and part four here how his life has put himself put him on a trajectory to be in a position to help with those things right. and contribute in important ways well you mentioned that his son if we're talking about the american revolution was the royal governor of new jersey and when the revolution comes, of course, Franklin sides with the colonials and his son sides with the British. They have a terrible falling out. But his son, that immediately when you say that makes me think of his family life. 
Does he talk at all in his autobiography about his family life? Only at the beginning, and it's only his 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 um, his parents, his upbringing. He talks a little bit about some uncles who had some influence on him. But so he doesn't talk at all about his own wife or children. He does talk about his wife, and occasionally he mentions his children, but they but sort of in passing. One of the great. Um, mistakes he says that he made and he regrets is early on he met Miss Reed, Miss Reed, who will go on to be his wife later. Um, and they were sort of in a unofficial way betrothed, but un it was unofficial enough that the younger Franklin didn't take it serious and he ran off to Europe and, and forgot about Miss Reed for a number of years and only later married her when, when they were both much older. Uh -huh. um, so he does tell that story of how he was able finally to marry her, but, he, you know, he was young and, you know, sort of, who knows, thinking whatever, you know, <laughs> full of himself and running around Europe. Of course. He, he, he made the mistake of, of, of putting that off too long. But So he does talk about how he came to know her, and he praises her for her great virtue and her frugality and all of these sorts of things. And she's um, he, he clearly loves her um, and, and respects her. Um, so, yeah, family is important for Franklin as well. Mm -hmm. um, the the situation with his son is a is a kind of tragic one. I know it must have pained him deeply to know not only did his was his son um, did his son side with the British, he was of course arrested and imprisoned uh, eventually um, um, f for that uh, during uh -huh. the revolution and um, and then eventually moved to Europe, I believe. And I don't know that they ever spoke again. Wow! That. Wow! So, so a terrible, that tragic, been painful falling out. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, you mentioned his early flirting with deism and the, da the danger he thought that uh, his preaching his deistic opinions to his friend had on him. The other thing I, I wonder about in the autobiography is if he says much about religion or his own religious beliefs or opinions. He has a lot to say about those things. <laughs> what does he say? <laughs> Franklin, <laughs> Franklin, of course, is a, is a great supporter of religion. He believes that religion is good. Um, that's why he's always helping organize things to promote religion and, and religious um, uh, organizations and churches in Philadelphia. He thinks yeah. this is a good thing. But and and if I, am I wrong to think that he was a great supporter and friend of the evangelist George Whitfield? He was, and they met him uh, on more than one occasion. And um, though he says he didn't agree with everything that Whitfield had to say, he could see the virtue of his teaching, and he liked it because it was, it was different. And what he liked about Whitfield is tied to, I think, Franklin's own private views with regard to religion. He, he says, I, he says uh, personally, he was always very religious and always believed in certain things. He believed in, he believed in the God that, that moved affairs. Um, trying to find his exact list here uh, of, of, his, of his core beliefs. He believed that, that God, um, uh, you know, the most pleasing thing to God was that we do service to our fellow men. So he had a core set of religious beliefs, but he was not a big fan of what he called, you know, sort of orthodoxy, orthodox religions that are built on certain kind of key beliefs and tenets and things like that. From, in in Frank, Franklin's view, um, those things more, I wouldn't say more often, but frequently led people to argue more than cooperate with each other. I see. And he gives this great account. But what he liked about Whitfield was that Whitfield started teaching the kinds of things in his religion, uh, in his sermons, that Franklin thought were important. Religion ought to teach us how to be a good human being, how to be a good neighbor, how to be a good citizen, and these sorts of things. It, it ought to teach us how to be better. 
And he gives another example of a preacher that he went to hear, if I can find it really quick in the text. Um, he was... Um, uh, he was finally persuaded to go hear this preacher, and he was talking about that text from the line from uh, Philippians, right? With um, those things that are noble, good, and true. Yes, whatsoever things are noble. Yeah, which is a great line. And Franklin said, "Oh, he's gonna he's gonna give a talk on that. He's gonna give a sermon on that." Think of all the great things we can learn from that, right? And right. he goes and he listens, and he's deeply disappointed because he concludes that this preacher, his goal was clearly to make uh, the listeners better Presbyterians than than better um, citizens and, and men. Ah. Uh, in other words, the preacher, just, he, he, he didn't take advantage of that great and beautiful line to yeah. teach us something about goodness and truth and beauty and instead focused on sort of the key tenets of, of his religion as he understood it. So, again, Franklin was a strong supporter of religion, but personally he... Um, he didn't bother himself too much over particular doctrines of things. I see. So was he? I kind of in a little trouble. I was way. just going to ask that. <laughs> it, even in a even in a city like Philadelphia, yeah. which was famous for its religious liberty at the time, or toleration at least, um, did he have a reputation as being not quite an orthodox fellow? Yes, he did. Uh, that was it. Was pretty widely known that he was a free thinker, as they were called at the time, uh-huh. and that was not always a, a compliment. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, to be a free thinker, but the but if, how did he avoid trouble because of that? Because Franklin was such a strong and vocal supporter of religious liberty, and 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 and, and supporting churches of different denominations. Again, I um, he he brought people together for this great project of building first the. I think of it. I, t- I was just talking about this with my students in class the other day. You think of these. You see these mega churches, the great buildings. Yeah. The Franklin built the first one in the country, maybe in the world. Benjamin Franklin bought, built the first megachurch. He, he got <laughs> subscriptions, donations okay. to do this, and it was to be. But it had to. It was the, the condition was any denomination could use it. Ah, didn't matter whether you were Catholic or Presbyterian or Methodist or Quaker. I don't know, Quakers had their own places, but you know anybody could use it. So yeah. Franklin was so well known as a supporter of all religions that I think when it came to his own personal. Uh, you know, free thinking approach to religion. People were very tolerant of. That I see because whatever he might have that reputation, but he's helped us. People would say, "Yes, he's a good citizen, yeah. and he supports all of us." So we'll let that go. And he also gave um, apparently talks and 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 wrote things. Um, he writes this in the autobiography, but I also uh, had written about it in his editorials. Um, despite all these different religious denominations, there are certain things that they all have in common. And Franklin really wanted Franklin really wanted to emphasize those things. Ah. So despite our differences, we all kind of agree on these things. Like doing good to other human beings is, uh, you know, to your fellow man is an important thing that's pleasing to God. So, so you know, Franklin was able to keep the respect of people of more let's you know call them orthodox religions or orthodox faiths. Yeah. Um. um despite his own personal preference to think for himself about these things the autobiography as you say ends part four ends uh, on the eve of the revolution or heading that direction we're getting close um our listeners are going to want to know the benjamin franklin of the american revolution the benjamin franklin of the constitutional convention which of course is held in philadelphia his hometown um 
the Benjamin Franklin, who is an ambassador for the United States overseas and doing very important work for this newly created country. He's already seeing the possibilities of this country way before a lot of other people are. He gets to work on behalf of this new country going forward. Um, what things does he learn in his life, in early life, that in your opinion as a scholar, you've studied Franklin, that we see later in his work for, in the American Revolution, in the American Constitution? That's a great question. And I would say, um, of course, Franklin is a delegate in the Second Continental Congress when they're debating independence. And he is also a delegate from Pennsylvania to the Constitutional Convention in 1787. And if you, I've had the great pro, uh, pleasure of, um, of uh, teaching and, and reading a lot about both um, uh, important events and, and Franklin's role in both of them. And what I see him consistently do, and something he learned from his mistakes as a young man, is you have to bring people, you have to find the common ground, you have to bring people together, you have to persuade people in such a way to show them what their common interest is. And you have to do that with a kind of soft touch. It, uh, it, mm. There are others at both Phila Philadelphia, both you know the the Second Continental Congress and the Constitutional Convention are meeting in the same place, the same physical location, not at the same time, but in the same building in Philadelphia. And there are plenty of delegates who are losing their heads and they're getting it's getting heated, and and they're yelling at each other. And Some of those guys had very other. strong opinions and weren't yeah, afraid to say them. That's right. And Franklin consistently avoids any of that kind of language. He is always appealing to, um, uh, you know, the, the sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, patriotism, if you will, or a sort of sense of common good right. in everybody. Uh, and in Philadelphia in uh, 1776, when they're debating independence, Franklin, by that point, is firmly set on independence. But he is in a delegation... Um, in Congress that includes um, others who are not in favor of independence. Uh -huh. John Dick Dickinson, for yeah. example, right? He was, he was, who says the time is not ripe for independence. And Franklin handles that situation very, very prudently and tactfully yeah. um, and tries his best to persuade Dickinson, whereas others are, you know, um, questioning Dickinson's motives and, right. and these sorts of things. So, so Franklin's, Franklin's always trying to reach lot. out build common ground, and persuade people gently over to his side. I think so. Gently, usually, sometimes with great wit. Uh -huh. <laughs> he was sort of um, the master of a, of, a, of, a, uh, of a story, sometimes a little spicy, uh, <laughs> a little uh, story that would get the point across. He reminds me, by the way, a lot of Abraham Lincoln. I was just going to say, it sounds like Who could do the like same that. sort of thing. He seems like he's telling a story that's totally unrelated until the end, and then, oh, I get the point. Aha. Uh -huh. And I'm sitting here as we're doing this, by the way, people are listening. Um, we're looking at a portrait of Benjamin Franklin and Abraham Lincoln together. We are the here in the Schramm Library, in the, yes. In the library. They're both right there, and I think they both could, could get their point across in a way that was tactful and subtle and not necessarily sort of beating people over the head with polemic language and, and these sorts of things. Yeah. He really came to see the problem with that approach. And he learned it himself as a young man because of the reputation he had earned. And it reminds me of the saying that's at least attributed to him, we, we must all hang together or most assuredly we will all hang See, separately. See, there's a consistency. I love this. There's a consistency in his, his approach to things uh, that I think you see throughout his entire um, life, at least in public, in public service. He's trying to teach these Americans what it means to be an American, 
live that way and rise in the, the way that America provides the opportunity. And then when he has the chance to act on the world stage for America, he's trying to teach Americans, join together for the prosperity of us all. He's trying to show them, because again, Americans have, have done this before. They've not done this before. No people maybe has done this before. You're going to declare independence. How should you declare independence? You're going to write a constitution. How should you go about writing a constitution? Franklin is trying to show them one way, an American way, that you can do that. Hmm. And um, I, I think that is a huge contribution of his. Um, because what you want as much as possible is unanimity. You're never going to probably get perfect unanimity. But if you, and if, if you can't get that, what you need is a kind of consensus. So I think of Franklin as, as being really gifted in the art of sort of Building consensus. Consensus building. I know yeah. that's kind of a buzzword these days wow. and all of this, but he's the he's the first to, to, to really try to do this. Yeah, and amazing. And, 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 and I think he's trying to sort of set that as the as the standard that we aim at in in politics and in policy making and, and all sorts of things. And yeah. I think he can be looked to even today as as a model for that. So he publishes his auto, the the autobiography is published. Did he publish it? And when it's published, how is it received? It's published after his death, um, and it, because again, it's unfinished. And he dies in the seventeen ninety. Seventeen ninety. Okay. Dies, yeah, and it is um, it's very shortly afterwards published uh, and circulated, and it's a very widely read and well received book. Uh huh. So um, it went through um, a kind of dormant phase in terms of people reading it throughout a lot of the nineteen hundreds, unfortunately, and. Um, we don't need to get into the, the various reasons why, except that it really sort of fell out of favor. And I think it was because Franklin had earned an, the, uh, unjustly the reputation as being sort of the, the uh, prophet of self-interest. That is, you know, you work hard and get ahead and make money and these sorts of things. Uh, but I see. It, but this is what changed my opinion about Franklin the, uh, when I read the autobiography. Um, he's not just the preacher of self-help or self-interest. You can't be of good... You can't be of help to others or of service to others unless you take care of yourself first. So the purpose of getting ahead and being successful in life is not the success in itself. Mm. It's so then you can turn around and be of good service to others. Just one as of, Franklin himself was. Exactly, exactly. And one of my favorite sayings from Franklin's is um, an empty sack. An empty sack cannot stand upright. Huh. And uh, and that was for a long time I think misinterpreted to mean you just you know you want to fill your sack up with stuff with wealth with goods, but what Franklin meant by it was you have if you have to have the sack full in order to take it take stuff out of the sack and use it for good for others right. Uh -huh. So I, that ch totally changed my opinion of Franklin and who he was when I read this for the first time about maybe fifteen years ago or so. There are a lot of listeners today who probably have not read Franklin's autobiography. Again, maybe some who didn't even know he, he wrote one. What do you hope they, if they were to read this book, and we encourage them, exhort them, <laughs> to take a look at this book and get to know this amazing man, this amazing American, what do you hope that first-time readers of Franklin's autobiography take away from his book about the man and about our country? Yeah, I hope they, they see the extent to which Franklin really did want to be of help to others, of service to others, even in his own example. Um, warts and all, as we were saying earlier, right? He, he, he doesn't hide the bad stuff, um, the things that he regrets. Um, but he really um, tries to orient his life 
toward being of, of use and service to others. And again, that's something I didn't know about him. I mean, I knew about his contributions to science and all these sorts of other things, and I, I knew about his role at the, at the Constitutional Convention. But that really comes out in the autobiography, and I think that's the other reason he's writing this is, again, because he says, you know, look, that whole pride and humility thing, I've struggled with that. So he wants to leave us with an impression of who he really was, and, and he wants us to remember him as, as somebody who tried the best that he could to be of service to his fellow man. Yeah. That's what he wants to be remembered for. And maybe in the end, proud of himself for doing so. Yeah, and he probably wouldn't. Probably wouldn't deny it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris Burkett, thank you so much for joining us today to shed light on this amazing American, this uh, in many ways model American, an American model for all of us to think about in understanding the American idea and applied to life what it really does mean to be an American, looking to the example and lessons of Benjamin Franklin. Chris, thanks so much for joining thank us. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The American Idea, a production of the Ashbrook Center. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice. Subscribe for more at ashbrook.org slash AmericanIdeaPod and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at AMIdeaPodcast. From the Schramm Library in Ashland, Ohio, I'm Jeff Sikinka.